always thank John after he plays, and we thank him again, and we thank Jim uh, for making it possible for us to hear him. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Book of Revelation, chapter 12. You know, the book of Revelation is a book of wonders, but I fear that many of the wonders are lost on the readers of our generation in that they are looking for a book that is one of escape. They want a book that will tell them that the church will not go through difficult times, that the church will not go through tribulations. The book of Revelation is a book of comfort and encouragement. But I fear that many see comfort only in escaping difficulties, not in God's presence in the midst of difficulties. I fear that many Christians in our time and place are not prepared for any type of difficulties that may come their way because they believe that Christians are immune to such things. Well, I think if the book of Revelation teaches us anything, it is that we may indeed go through difficult times, but that God will preserve us. I think many Christians in our age have no answers for the questions or at least answers that are not escapist. Why are God's people persecuted and martyred? Why must the church endure difficulties? Why is there persecution if Christ has won the victory? To answer these questions and many others, John goes back to the beginning of things here in chapter 12 to show that the conflict between Satan and the church goes back almost to the very beginning of time. And he explains why Satan has persecuted the church so viciously. Last week we looked here at chapter 12, but we focused mainly on the first part, the, main, uh, the first six verses, the first vision. Uh, I'll read the entire chapter uh, again today, but we will focus more on verses 7 uh, through the end of the chapter. But follow along if you would as I read this. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, 
and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Well, on the face of it, it's certainly not an easy passage to understand. But I think if we look just a bit closer, what is being said is, is quite clear. There are two main persons that are mentioned here. First of all, the woman. And who is this woman? She reflects or she represents the people of God. It's, and it's seen in her description that she's clothed with the sun. She has the moon under her feet and 12 stars as a crown. This goes back to the dream that Joseph had centuries before, representing Jacob, Rachel, and his 12 sons, the people of God. And so the woman represents the people of God. We'll see more about this as we go along. The second participant is the dragon, and we are told much more about him in the second vision, and we will examine him in more detail today. At this point, I think it is enough for us to know that he stands in opposition to the woman, particularly in opposition to her child and her other children. It becomes clear that John is writing about a conflict, a conflict that goes back to the Garden of Eden between the woman and the dragon. It is an ancient conflict. The serpent thought, the devil thought, I will destroy humanity through the woman. And so he deceived Eve, he tempted her, and she sinned, and the human race was plunged into sin. I will destroy humanity through the woman. But God in his providence said, I will save humanity through the woman. I will defeat the serpent through the woman. And that's where we have the great promise that it is through the seed of the woman that the serpent would be destroyed. And as I mentioned last week, basic biology, biology 101, we know the woman does not carry the seed, the man does. This points to the virgin birth, that there would be no earthly father for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that Mary's child would be the Messiah. Well, from that time on, the conflict has been on. And as we saw, the dragon is described as standing in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. As I mentioned, we need to remember that this is really compressed. He's trying to make a point, and his point is this. The dragon was defeated. But he compresses the whole Old Testament and then the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus all into this one verse. Because we read that the child is born and then he's snatched up to God and to his throne. Um, the point is for us to understand the dragon didn't get to do what he wanted. He wanted to destroy the Messiah and he was not able to. 
I mentioned this briefly last week, and I just want to go over it again. If we were to review the life of Jesus, we would have to deal with his death. And someone might say, well, wait a minute. The dragon was waiting to devour the child, and the child did die. Jesus was put to death. And then we say, yes, but he was resurrected, and so that sort of negates it. But John wants to get to the point. He wants to cut to the chase. The dragon was defeated. But again, in this compressed history, this compressed statement representing history, we have seen time and time and time again that Satan has tried to destroy God's people so that he could destroy the woman's child. Now we come to the second vision, and here we are told even more directly, if we didn't get it in the first vision, now we get it very clearly, the dragon is defeated. Here, there is a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fight against the dragon and his angels. The dragon and his angels are defeated and cast down to the earth. It's not a geographical statement, by the way. It is rather that they no longer have a position in heaven. I'll mention that in a a minute. This is not a sequel, by the way, uh, to what is going on. Um, I think, in part, why he mentions this is because of verse number six. Why did the woman have to flee into the desert? Why did she have to be protected? Because the dragon was defeated in heaven, cast down to earth. This is now where he wants to rule, and now he goes after the woman. But there's several questions we have to answer here. First of all, who is Michael? Michael, in Hebrew, uh, is a Hebrew name. It means, who is like God? He is mentioned three times in the Bible. He's mentioned twice in the book of Daniel, and there he is mentioned as someone who protects God's people. Daniel 12.1 At that time, Michael, the great prince, who protects your people, that is God's people, will rise. In the New Testament, he's only mentioned one other place besides here in Revelation, in the book of Jude. Jude, uh, verse number 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. So Michael is mentioned here as an archangel, which is not like a special angel. It simply refers to his status as a chief of angels. The word archangel only appears one other time. I know I'm going in a different direction, but it only appears one other time in in the New Testament. First Thessalonians, speaking of the second coming, that the Lord will come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, which would seem to indicate that when Christ returns, Michael will be there with him. Another question might be asked, when did this battle, when did this war take place and when was a dragon cast down? I think that's to ask the wrong question. And and I think throughout the book of Revelation, if we're not careful, we ask the wrong question. The question should not be, when did this happen, but what brought this about? What caused this to happen? And in one word, the word would be incarnation. When Christ came into the world, when the woman gave birth to the child, then this meant the beginning of the defeat of the dragon. Jesus, several times during his ministry, and I think we just sort of read over this and we don't catch it, but several times in his ministry refers to Satan being cast down from heaven. I'll just read to you uh, one. This is from Luke chapter 10. Uh, Jesus had sent out 72 men 
two by two to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And they come back and they give a report. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And how does Jesus answer them? He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That it is during the ministry of Christ, the defeat of Satan takes place. Jesus says something else, and I want you to keep this in mind for later in the sermon. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is what is important, not Satan's defeat per se for us, but it is that we are the children of God. Toward the end of his ministry, in John chapter 12, Jesus said, now, the time, now is the time for judgment of, on the world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The defeat of Satan is completed with the death of Christ. And if you look at verse number 11 here, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. It is the death of Christ that ultimately defeats Satan. Paul writes about this in Colossians. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What John wants his readers, what he wants us to understand, is that the dragon has been defeated and hurled down to the earth. And as a result, he is filled with fury. And because of this fury, he cannot defeat the woman, cannot defeat her child, he cannot defeat Satan, I'm sorry, Michael. So he goes after the woman's children. Us. Because of his fury, he seeks to persecute the church. Now, we're told a number of things about the dragon, and I want to go over them briefly. But I want you just to keep in mind that what we are told about the dragon is told in the context of the war in heaven and in the context of worship. In verses 10 through 11, we have the loud voice from heaven of God's people. You say, well, how do you know they're God's people? Because it says, the accuser of our brothers, that is, our fellow Christians. So, God's people... And within this context, we are told about Satan. Um, I mention this because I think many people are obsessed with the devil. Who he is, what he does, all that type of thing. And if you look at the Bible, it is really remarkable how little we are told about him. In fact, I, I remember one, one preacher saying, it is almost offensive, it must offend Satan that he is not mentioned as much in the Bible as, as we think he is. We're not actually told very much about him. In fact, this passage probably tells us more than any other place in Scripture. I'm going to cover them, but not in the order that they're given. He is the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Now we're told directly who this dragon is. He is the ancient serpent. He is the deceiver. The one who deceived Eve back in the Garden of Eden and plunged humanity into sin. He is the devil. Devil means one who slanders. And in the, the culture that John lived, uh, one who slandered, they actually had sort of a, a popular figure, popular not in the sense that people liked him, but that everyone was familiar with, a paid informer. In Greek, he was known as Delator. And this person made his living by going around and telling public officials lies about other people so that they would get into trouble. He was a slanderer. 
And so when John says the devil, the one who slanders, people are like, yeah, we know about that. He is also seen as Satan, which means the adversary. The word is found in the Old Testament referring to human adversaries, but here it is used of Satan in a very specific way. We are told he is the accuser of our brothers. Twice in the Old Testament we are told of Satan accusing people. One of them we looked at when we went through the book of Job. Uh, Satan accuses Job to God and says, hey, see your... See Job. Actually, God says, see Job, and, and Satan's like, that's nothing. He worships you because it's in his best interest. He worships you for the benefits. Take away the benefits, he won't worship you anymore. He falsely accuses Job. The second time he accuses is in Zechariah chapter 3. And this is a vision that Zechariah has, where Joshua the high priest is standing there before God, Um, Let me just read to you. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The high priest is there to worship God and Satan is right there at his right hand to accuse him. In both cases, he falsely accuses. I would suggest to you, I'm not dogmatic on this, but it's something we can talk about it, that Satan is no longer an accuser. That Satan no longer accuses us before God because he has been hurled down. That because of the coming of Christ, Satan no longer has a position as accuser. Oh, he's still the deceiver. And he is still the adversary. He's still the slanderer. But he no longer has status as the accuser of the brothers. We're also told that the dragon is not strong enough. He is defeated by Michael and his angels. I think we tend to think of Satan as being invincible. That, okay, the woman and her child escaped, but that was maybe, you know, something, they pulled a fast one and they escaped the dragon. But, but otherwise, Satan is seen as almost omnipotent, this, this very powerful being. John tells us the dragon cannot win. He's not strong enough to win the victory. And that's why he deceives. That's why he slanders. That's why he is our adversary. Because he can't win. He can't play fair. And so he cheats. He lies. And he slanders. In a head-to-head confrontation, Satan will lose. And he did. And in fact, if you look at this passage, one could argue that we see three defeats here. First of all, he, he's defeated because the woman's child is taken up to heaven, so he doesn't get to destroy that child. He's defeated by Michael. And then in verse number 11, that he is overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I think we should not slander Satan. We should not be careless in what we say about him. But neither should we be fearful, because he is not all-powerful. We are told that he and his angels lost their place in heaven. This is a result of losing the war in the heavens. They no longer have status in heaven. He can no longer accuse the brothers. Let me just read to you the verse from Job chapter 1. One day, the angels, or the sons of God, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. 
We find that very troubling, that, that Satan is actually in the presence of God. I would argue that that's no longer the case because the dragon has been hurled down. In verse number 9, we are told three times that he is hurled down. The NIV only has it twice. Uh, let me read to you from the King James. And there it uses cast out, and it's, it's three times. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. John wants us to get the point. Satan no longer has standing in heaven. He has been cast out. And, and, and how did this happen? Because of Michael's victory, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the victory of the word of their testimony. And how should we respond? How do the saints in heaven respond? Rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. We're told in verse number 9 that he leads the whole world astray because he is the slanderer, the deceiver, the accuser. He is the one who leads the world to persecute the church. And we will see this more in, in chapters 13 on. Verse number 12, he is filled with fury. This is tied to the fact that he's been defeated and hurled down to the earth. But more than that, if you look at verse number 12, he knows that his time is short. How does he know? I don't, I don't have an answer for that. All I can tell you is that Satan knows, number one, that he has been defeated. Number two, that he's been cast out of heaven to the earth. And number three, that his time is short. And because of that, he goes after the church. And this we see in verses 13 through 17, the dragon attacks the church. Verse number 13, I think, is critical to understanding this. Um, look at verse number 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Satan persecutes the church because he has been defeated. Okay? I can't, I can't emphasize that strong enough. Satan does not attack the church because he hopes to win. He's already lost. He's already lost. And in his defeat, if you wish, on the way down, he's trying to do as much damage as he can possibly do. Here we are told that the woman uh, is given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the desert uh, where she would be taken care of for a time, times and, time a, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. What does this all mean? Well, this is the language of the Exodus. This is the language of the Exodus. From Exodus chapter 19, God had brought Israel to Sinai, to the desert. Okay? And there he was going to give them his law. And this is what God said to Moses. This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves saw or have seen how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The woman with wings of eagles, this speaks of deliverance. God delivered his people out of slavery. God will deliver his people. And how does Satan respond to this? He tries to overtake her, to destroy her with a flood. Um, 
We saw it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We still see it today. But in the Old Testament, Pharaoh wanted all the male children thrown into the river. No male children, no more Israelites. And then, after he let them go, well, he enslaved them, but after he let them go, he pursued them to destroy them. And then we have the Red Sea there cutting off Israel. God opens the Red Sea for them to get through. But Satan is unsuccessful in trying to destroy the woman. God's creation helps the woman. We have the story in the book of Numbers how the earth opens up and swallows those who are opposed to Moses. But the point is clear. and Don't get lost in all the details because the point is very clear. The dragon is defeated in his attempts to destroy the woman. He hasn't stopped. He's been at it for centuries. Let me read to you a wonderful passage from Psalm 124. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Boy, you could take that and bring it right here to Revelation chapter 12. The dragon opens his mouth to let out a torrent, to let out a flood, to destroy God's people. And as the psalmist says, if the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swept away. What about this thing, time, times, and half a time? Well, time is one, times is two, half a time is three. It's the three and a half. We've seen it elsewhere in chapter 11. It refers to a broken seven. Seven is perfection, three and a half is half. It's a broken seven. It speaks of a temporary time in which God's people may seem to be losing that the dragon may seem to be triumphant, but this is not the case. Well, since he cannot destroy the woman, Israel, since he cannot destroy her child, the Messiah, the dragon who is filled with fury at his defeat, who is now enraged that the woman has escaped his attack, finds one more target, the rest of her offspring. If you look at the last verse here, in verse number 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, the rest of her children, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. He is going, until the end of time, the dragon is going to make war against us, we who are God's children. And chapters 13 through 19, much of the rest of Revelation, will talk about how the dragon does this. He does it through physical persecution, physical threat. We have the beast from the sea in chapter 13. He does this through spiritual deception, the beast from the land. And he does it through material or economic seduction. And here we have the great prostitute of Babylon where everyone made money see I think in many ways 
we're, we're, we, we think we're ready for persecution. We're, we're sort of, we're, we're ready for, for Satan to throw us into jail or have people kill us. We're ready for persecution. We don't realize that's not the only way the devil works. He also uses spiritual deception and he uses material seduction. Listen, we who live in the most materialistic culture in the world, you think that hasn't touched us? And again, I would remind you that Satan is doing this not because he is strong, but because he has lost. So we don't need to be filled with fear. We just need to be aware. Satan is not attacking us through these various means, physical, spiritual, material, because he is strong. No, he's doing it because he has lost. I guess in modern language, he's doing it because he's a loser. And that's why he comes after us. And he's not going to stop until Jesus returns. Who are the offspring? Those who obey God's commandments and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Let me read to you from another letter that John wrote. This is from the first epistle of John. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, that is, I know God, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. This is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. We are the children of the woman We are God's people. We are those who are to obey his commandments and hold to his testimony. And if we do this, then we can expect the dragon to come after us with everything he has. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In John's language, it's against the dragon. That's who's fighting against us. As I mentioned, it will not simply be physical persecution, though we have brothers and sisters today who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. But it's also spiritual deception and material seduction. We should be aware. We should be on our guard. We should say with the psalmist, if the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swept away. But I would have you remember one thing in closing today. What did Jesus tell Peter? Do you remember what he told Peter in Matthew chapter 16? On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The dragon will not prevail against it. Oh, does that mean that we're not going to be persecuted, that we're not going to be put to death, that we're going to have an easy life, that we're not going to have any problems? No, not at all. In fact, if you stay with us in chapters 13 through 19, we're going to see the church go through almost hell itself. We'll go through great difficulties because the dragon is enraged. He's filled with fury. But the Lord has stood with us. Had not been for the Lord, yes, we would be destroyed. We might lose our lives. We're going to die one day anyway. We might lose our possessions. They're just possessions. 
Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? Don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. There's something eternal that you should rejoice about, that your names are written in heaven. That's the final reality. That's what we should cling to. And as God's people, we should be on our guard. And I fear that in our generation, we may not be. We're not prepared. John wants us to be prepared, just as he wrote to his generation. His generation, within four or five years of him writing this book, the church would experience persecution that it had never seen before. John wants them to be ready. Let's pray together. Our Father, we confess that we are complacent. We've been looking to do battle in terms of persecution. We whine when we suffer any small insult. We've forgotten that the dragon is enraged and filled with fury and is coming after us. And not merely in terms of physical persecution, but spiritual seduction, or deception, and material seduction. May you open our eyes to see the truth of it. May we not despair or be fearful that somehow the dragon is all-powerful. You are our God. You alone are omnipotent. But we may suffer great things as Satan, who is already defeated, seeks to inflict as much damage as he can. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ for his coming into the world, for his defeating of the dragon through his blood. And we thank you that our names are written in heaven. May we meditate on and think about the things that we have talked about this day. May your grace and your spirit go with us as we leave this place today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing the doxology together? It's found on the inside of our hymnals. Bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.